I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute. And is there a way we can do something like that by injection inside or almost a cleaning? As you see, it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, on KYAQ in the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove and KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the Globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but today I'm back. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com, and I'm happy to step in and help out Brad and Desi because we're all in this together. All right, so we have a busy show for you today. Coming up, a conversation with MSNBC's Ali Velshi and another edition of a new feature that I started on my program. I call it Quarantine Calling because everyone all around the world is basically in the same boat. We're all experiencing the coronavirus crisis together. And in most countries, people are social distancing and are quarantining at home. So I started calling around the world and finding out how others are faring in this very weird time in our history. So in a little bit, we'll check in with someone in Finland where it's very cold. But we'll begin, as we usually do, with the latest news. So Donald Trump, Friday afternoon, signed into law the latest coronavirus relief package. The Senate approved it on Tuesday. The House passed it on Thursday. And finally, you know, Donald Trump signed it on Friday. The deal provides $310 billion to replenish the Paycheck Protection Program to help small businesses continue paying employees as the crisis shuts down much of the economy. Plus, it allots another $60 billion for a separate emergency loan and grant program involving small banks in rural and suburban areas, $75 billion for hospitals and health care providers, and another $25 billion for coronavirus testing. It should be noted, though, that that $25 billion for coronavirus testing is the reason this bill was delayed a week as Republicans and the White House fought that provision that the Democrats were finally successful in getting included. More testing. But it was at that signing in the Oval Office that Donald Trump lied to us yet again. I know that's nothing new, but this, what the lie was about, is truly astounding. And, you know, just when you wondered why people still watch Trump's daily two-hour free campaign infomercial. It's for those unbelievable moments like we witnessed on Thursday. Here's what happened. Donald Trump introduced a Homeland Security official who explained that sunlight and bleach can kill the coronavirus on surfaces. So Donald Trump, stable genius that he is, suggested treating COVID-19 patients by hitting their lungs with ultraviolet or very powerful light or possibly injecting them with disinfectant. Honestly, I couldn't make this stuff up if I tried. I have a question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body 
with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks could. right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. Okay, now. Obviously, Donald Trump doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. But you heard what he said there. And when he was talking about, you'll test that, right? You'll test that. He said for both things, both the ultraviolet light and the injection of the disinfectant, he was talking to Bill Bryan. Well, Friday, when he's signing the coronavirus relief package in the Oval Office, after enduring, you know, a day's worth of taunts and laughter and disbelief that this man could be such a moron, he tried to backtrack. So when he was signing this in the Oval Office, there was a pool spray, a handful of reporters who were in there to cover it. And he was asked about his recommendations. And he actually said this. Not encouraging Americans to... No, of course. No, of course. That was... uh, Interior-wise, it's said sarcastically. It was was put in the form of a question to a group of (laughs) extraordinarily hostile people. No, Namely, the fake news media. Okay. So... Well, of course. All they had to do was see it was just... You know the way it was asked. I I was looking at you. Uh, You know, I know. I know. You're looking at Dr. Burke. What's that? You're looking at Dr. Burke. I was looking at Bill. Bill. I was looking at the doctor. I was looking at some of the reporters. I don't know if you were there. Were you there? I don't think you were there. I was there, and I watched you. you, Not you. Not you. You were there. You. If you're there, I never forget. You were. I I wasn't there. You were not. No, sir. Yeah, I didn't think you were there. Okay. Uh, Mr. President, Mr. President, I, I know that you continue to say you absolutely... Okay, hold on one second. Any other questions from any other... Wow. So that journalist that he just cut off was Weijia Jiang of CBS News, with whom he had a bit of a tussle earlier in the week. And now she's trying to follow up on this question, and he cuts her off. He is just a reprehensible sad excuse for a human being. By the way, he talked about the hostile journalists who were in the room. Here's another question from Thursday as he was pushing these ridiculous, um, I, I don't want to call them remedies because they're, they're things that can kill you. He was asked about the wisdom of promoting such things by Philip Rucker of the Washington Post, and this is how the president treated him. Respectfully, sir, you're the president, and people tuning into these briefings, they want to get information and guidance and want to know what to do. They're not looking for rumors. I'm the president, and you're fake news. And you know what I'll say to you? I'll say very nicely, I know you well. I know you well, because I know the guy. I see what he writes. He's a total faker. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? It's just a suggestion from a brilliant lab by a very, very smart, perhaps brilliant man. He's talking about sun. He's talking about heat. And you see the numbers. So that's it. That's all I have. I'm just here to present talent. I'm here to present ideas because we want ideas to get rid of this thing. And if heat is good and if sunlight is good, that's a great thing as far as I'm concerned. Go ahead. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he was being sarcastic to get at the press. By the way, (laughs) in case you're wondering what people around the world think of the advice being given by the American president, here's a clip from Friday morning's Good Morning Britain television show. Do you know, I've heard some crazy things in in my life, but this is probably one of the craziest. To use a disinfectant and inject it 
into the human body is not only toxic and highly poisonous, but would do no good whatsoever. It would cause inflammation of human tissues and not touch the virus at all, which actually lives in human cells, not on the surface of them. So he's completely and utterly crazy to even suggest this. Secondly, his other suggestion was to use the power of sunlight. Yes. In that some sort of sunlight inside the body would eradicate the virus. Again, the virus lives inside cells and replicates inside cells. It is true that the virus decays outside of the human body uh, in ultraviolet light from the sun, uh, but inside the body, of course, sunlight would do absolutely nothing, and then how could you get sunlight into the human body? I think this all uh, stems from the fact that President Trump probably thinks that sunlight emerges from parts of his body. Um, <laughs> Ah, uh, touche, touche, touche. All right. There's a bit of breaking news as we're going to press. Top Navy officials are recommending that Captain Brett Crozier, remember him? He's the former commanding officer of the aircraft carrier USS Theodore Roosevelt, be reinstated to his position. This according to a senior defense official with knowledge of the decision. Now, this decision, which still must be approved by the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, follows the resignation of the then-acting Navy Secretary, Thomas Modley. He's the guy who publicly criticized Crozier for how he handled a coronavirus outbreak on his ship. Crozier lost his command after he sent a letter requesting help from Navy leaders. The letter was leaked to the media. Crozier pleaded for more resources as the virus, which has now infected more than 800 sailors, raced through the ship. Amazing. And finally, we've passed another grim milestone. Sometime Friday morning, the reported death toll from COVID-19 in the United States passed the 50,000 mark. 50,000 Americans dead in two months. Stay safe, everyone. Stay home. Seriously. Coming up next, we're going to check in with someone else far, far away to see how they're coping with the quarantine, the virus, the insanity in today's world. It's a segment I call Quarantine Calling. Finland, here we come. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today, with a bit of a palate cleanser in between the news and the interview coming up with Ali Velshi. We are making another connection. I, it's a segment I've started calling Quarantine Calling. To tell you how this came about, I stumbled upon this uh, Facebook group called A View From My Window. And I've noticed these amazing photos that people are posting from all over the world of, as the name says, the view from outside their window as we're all stuck inside dealing with this coronavirus that has put the entire planet on lockdown. So joining me now from Vasa, Finland, Hanna yes. Turpinian. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Close? That, yeah, that's, <laughs> yes, Hanna Turpinian. Yeah, you uh, pronounced it really well. Oh, well, thank you. And it's a pleasure to meet you. You posted a, a gorgeous photo of a very snowy backyard. How's yeah, the weather in Finland today? Well, right now, uh, I'm sitting in my glass porch, uh, so it's still sunny. Um, it's about 10 degrees Celsius, mm. so it's not too bad, but it could be warmer. But that day, we were already looking at spring t springtime and uh, tulips and uh, other flowers blooming, and all of a sudden, uh, there was another snowstorm. So that sort of caught us by surprise. 
Now there are all of that now. There there are some states here in the U.S. that are also having horrible winter storms now, and it's April sixteenth today. Yeah, um, I noticed. Actually, I noticed in the group that you were mentioning the the wonderful view from my window group. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I noticed that there's a lot of snow in in some northern parts. Oh yes, of now, the U.S. as well. I happen to be in South Florida, so it, we're having a heat wave down here. It's it's been in the nineties. Actually, we at Fahrenheit, um, but um, yeah, it's quite warm. So that at least wonderful. we have that yeah. going for us. So if we're stuck, at least we can go out in the backyard and get some sun. Um, so, so what? What? How did this unfold in Finland? The whole uh, staying at home. When? When did you guys mm. get alerted that there was this pandemic brewing and that things were going to change? Wow, when was that? Was sometime in February? It's actually I, I find it kind of hard to keep track of time I can't even is it fourth or fifth week that I'm working from home now I'm not even sure but it was sometime at the end of uh, February um, first it was still called an epidemic somewhere in northern Italy uh, parts mm. of Switzerland then suddenly Spain Germany and then uh, yeah then it reached us as well it's not all that bad yet peak of the epidemic we haven't reached that yet i ah, think uh-huh. they're about well uh, you know finland is quite scarcely populated so um so there's a lot of space so i think things are not evolving that fast here so there are about uh, i'd say three thousand three thousand and a half cases right now uh but yeah we're still expecting the of the epidemic yeah it's scary so so is there a, a an order to shelter at home or is this voluntary what's the what's the mandate um, there? well a bit of the both we're not in a lockdown um, so uh, we're not in a current quarantine state we can uh, move about freely outside but uh, gatherings above 10 people are prohibited. Mm-hmm. Uh, the schools are closed. The university, I work at the University of Vasa, so so we're closed. We can't even enter the buildings without permission. So we're working from home. Um, yeah, so we're basically, a lot of people are working from home, but the shops are still open. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and we can, yeah, we can go out. We can go out to exercise. Um, but yes, um the restaurants are closed. Hmm. They can only sell food uh, as take take out right. uh, menus and yeah. Now, how about how is the medical uh, care system in, in Finland? In Finland, are you taken care of? It's a universal health care uh, provided yes. by the government, yeah, it, paid for by your taxes. Yeah. Yes, it's uh, actually it's excellent. Uh, yeah, we we do pay a lot of taxes, but our social security system is really good. So. Uh, so we we pay something if we end up in a hospital, but that's only like a like a really small fraction of the actual costs. And um, they're trying to uh, flatten the curve so that in case there's a huge epidemic here, there'd be enough places in intensive care units. And uh, as it seems right now, that's what they're managing to do. So. Uh, people that end up in the hospitals are in moderate. Uh, I think uh, some two or three hundred have ended up in hospitals. No. That's not bad. Uh, even That's even though bad, I mean, no. with the, the much smaller population over there than here, certainly. But it sounds like they've got a handle on it, and people are at least observing the the social distancing and and trying to keep they it from and, spreading and right? that's uh that's something really characteristic of um, my nation i think we're really known to um keeping our personal space uh, mm. so that uh it's easy to follow the orders to not go too close to uh to other people uh-huh. now yeah. you said you work at the university what do you do there yeah I work at the HR and I work with international HR, so I help new uh, um, uh, foreign or international researchers when they settle in and move to Finland and uh, when our researchers are going out for research research exchanges to other countries. 
So this affects my job quite a lot, actually. Oh, sure, I um, bet. Well, yeah, obviously the university is closed. All schools are here are closed as well. Kids are, yeah. you know, parents are having to do homeschooling and work with yes. e-learning programs. So it's a whole new yeah. world. Thankfully, yeah. my daughter is out of school, so I don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But we're navigating it's... different things. So um, at university, how, do, is same thing there is... is public um is is higher education also included in in your taxes so when a child finishes high school they get to go to university and that's also paid for yes it's so there are entrance exams those who get in get a free schooling wow and yes. you, you hear the incredulity in my voice because I, I i'm i'm sure you sound like you know what's going on and uh, you know what the system is like over here in the u.s it's i do insane yeah. so I have a 10-year-old son, uh, so uh, I don't have to worry about getting him to school mm-hmm. uh, or start saving for his uh, university education. That's sort of included in my my taxes. Uh, monthly taxes that I pay. Wow. So. Yeah, here, you know, there's a lot, so many people are now unemployed because with businesses shutting down, people as of today um, five and a half million more people filed for unemployment uh, benefits in this past week bringing it to 22 million people in just four weeks so the 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 unemployment is crazy and unfortunately in this nation it's so nuts that your health care in many cases is tied to your employment it's provided insurance is provided by the employer so all these people who are newly unemployed now find themselves without health insurance and people are really scared because if they do get sick and go to the hospital they're going to wind up with a huge bill that could bankrupt them that could destroy their lives going forward it's really insane it's heartbreaking it uh it's really break breaks my heart even to think about that yeah another worry besides this virus itself right to have to think about paying for it i'm wondering how um obviously here in the states we think everything revolves around us i'm wondering what kind of coverage there is of how we're handling it over here we have uh, i don't know your views of him my view of the the guy in the white house right now is that he's an insane madman who is not only destroying this nation but he's doing his damnedest to destroy the planet uh, we are in desperate straits over here with this guy in the White House and just uh, hoping we make it to November so we can vote him out of office. I'm wondering what the coverage is like over there in Finland of him. Did the, did the rest of the world see him as insane as most of us do? Well, uh, he gets a lot of, uh, how do you say, highlights in the news. Yeah, a lot like of coverage, now, right? Because, yes, coverage. The decisions are quite abrupt, like uh, the decision to uh, shut down the financing for the WHO. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. But, yeah. I, but, I feel um, like when I make these calls to talk to people around the world, like I have to apologize for him to the rest of the world. I am so sorry that the that a faction of the people in this country voted this idiot into office. We're, I'm mortified by him. and And we're all just like holding our breath, hoping we make it through to November and can get him out of office. Because it's it's not only embarrassing, but cutting off funding to the World Health Organization in the middle of a global pandemic, it's it's unconscionable. And so again, I, on behalf of my politics. fellow mm-hmm. Americans, I apologize. Yeah, well, politics, what, it, what right. can you do? Yeah. Well, what's, I mean, what's the government like over in Finland? In Finland? Right now, we have a kind of new government. Um, Actually, uh, our prime minister is uh, the youngest female prime minister in the world. Oh, really? I thought that was New Zealand. That's Finland, huh? (laughs) She she just started her term not too long ago. And boy, what a start of the term for her. But Good or bad? Doing a great job. Tough decisions. But I'm really proud of her. Um, and her government, they're doing a good job. 
Oh, that's great. So glad to hear it. And and I think, look, we've got some young people in Congress that I'm hoping will work their way up because it's time for a change in leadership. I'm also kind of upset about the choices we have uh, to replace Donald Trump in November. We're down to Joe Biden, who was not my number one choice, but he'd be night and day better than Donald Trump. As I say all the time, my dog Jackson would do a better job as president than Donald Trump. So hopefully we'll be able to... Uh, apologize to the rest of the world in a better way, uh, at least come November, if we survive that long. I'm glad to hear that you've got a new young, look, this is a trend, I guess, young women taking over because the Prime Minister of New Zealand is also a young woman who's getting rave reviews for her work as well. So maybe this is a welcome new trend we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I must say that they are doing a great job now. So all my best wishes and luck go to, to our new government. Absolutely. Hannah yeah. Terpanian, it is so so great to connect with you. I'm uh, again, you this too. is knowing yeah. that we're nice. all in the same situation no matter where we are on the planet. There's yeah. something it's kind of it's comforting amazing. about and, that, right? And I just somehow somehow the the group the uh view of my window mm. uh, makes it so real. Yeah. To see yeah. We're all struggling with the same thing now. We are. And I don't think we've ever had a moment like this in world history before where no. we were all going through a similar crisis together. And that's why I want to connect with people. I'm, I'm so glad you took a few minutes to talk with us today. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, I'd love to it's one day in person. It's a pleasure to meet you too. Thank you so yeah. much. And stay warm there in Finland. And We uh, will now. Summer <laughs> is coming up. So uh, it's going to get sunnier and it's going to get warmer. Awesome. So that's one positive thing. Yeah, it is. It's after 7 p.m. there now, and I see it's still light yeah. outside. How late does it stay light? Right now, maybe until 9 o'clock wow. in the evening. But, you know, we're looking at a period when the sun never sets. So uh-huh. when it's midsummer here, it's gonna sh- uh, the sun is going to shine all night through. So that's why uh, we'll need our thick black curtains again to be <laughs> and, able to and- sleep. And what, what? How warm does it get when the sun is out twenty four hours a day? Um, the summers are really nice, about twenty twenty five degrees, I'd say Celsius. Yeah. So that's so no. for us. It's <laughs> sort of a perfect temperature. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Well, I, I'm spoiled. You know, I live in South Florida, so I don't yeah, deal with I, snow or any of that. I do envy your heat wave <laughs> right now. I must say. Well, I'll send a little um, heat your way. Um, Thank you. Virtually, anyway. Stay safe. You too. And it's a pleasure meeting you and talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Her name is Hannah Turpenian, or thereabouts. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe it's self-indulgent, but I love connecting with people all over the world. And this Facebook group, if you're on Facebook, I think you need an invite to join the group. So if you want an invite, to, it's called View From My Window, people from every corner of the world posting pictures from the view outside their window as they're all shut in, hoping this virus passes us by. It is a small world, after all. I'm Nicole Sandler, in for Brad and Desi. Coming up next, a conversation with Ali Velshi. We'll be right back on the broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm your guest host, Nicole Sandler, coming to you from quarantine time in South Florida. We're all trying to adjust to life in different circumstances. And one group of people who has a particularly challenging time of it are the people we watch on TV every day delivering the news. That's what I wanted to discuss with MSNBC's Ali Velshi. He's somebody that, well, we welcome into our homes all the time. 
I've become a, a big fan of Allie Velshi's. In fact, I, I started really following you, Allie, when you joined Al Jazeera America. Um, because I was excited that for the first time in this era, we had a news channel that was about news. It wasn't about one ideology over another. The The goal there was to present news in an objective manner, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was two goals. One is news in the absence of, uh, you know, what we used to think of as news, uh, it being as objective as possible. And we can discuss what objectivity is, because I think we've learned over time uh, that maybe it's not exactly what we think it is. But that was one of the goals. And the other goal that I thought was really important is because I'd been a journalist probably 20 some odd years before I joined Al Jazeera. And we were really concentrated on uh, telling stories from the perspective of the voiceless or being a voice for the voiceless. And it, it occurred to me, uh, while I had always thought about those things, and I thought I was reporting about those things, my life as a journalist in New York City working for mainstream media um, doesn't expose me to a whole lot of voiceless people as we go out of our way to find them. Mm -hmm. Even our most junior employees at a media organization are powerful, right? Because they can call up anybody and tell them they're from the media. Um, <laughs> right. So, so I really it caused me to get outside of a, a zone in which I had been operating. It wasn't a shift in ideology for me or the way I think about things, but it really caused me to say, how do you tell stories from the perspective of the very people who don't have the voice, whom you talk about, whom you analyze, whom you characterize all the time? And I have to say, Nicole, that was a bigger challenge than I, a guy like me thought it was going to be. I, I thought this was obvious, right? I know who these voiceless people are. I know what their challenges are. I know what their lives are. Well, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, it changed my perspective. It was, a, it was a remarkable experience for me for that reason. And then, uh, as fortunate, unfortunately, as these things happen, uh, Al Jazeera didn't catch on here. Do you think it was more, because I enjoyed watching them. I like the objectivity. I'm always looking for it um, because it helps me organize my thoughts so I can be more objective about what I cover. Uh, and I'm, you know, my show is not objective news coverage. It's opinion and commentary, but always based in fact. That's got to be the underlying basis Otherwise, it's worthless. So um, I was I was bummed when it went away. And I wonder how much of it was um, xenophobia was the fact that Al Jazeera was an Arabic network that was based in Qatar. And it, it, was that yeah. a big part of it? So, you know, the other day, somebody uh, uh, tweeted me something that was meant to be criticism and said, you know, how that Al Jazeera thing work out <laughs> for you. And I, I said, oh, I, did you watch it? And they said, no, I never did. It was biased. And I said, so you never watched anything on, on Al Jazeera America? And he said, no. And I said, would you, would you mind looking some stuff up for me and, and letting me know what you thought was biased about that? Um, and, and so that was the problem. Those people who watched, um, even if they had political biases, we had people watching us who were conservative, who were liberal, but they felt that they could get the news. Uh, and, and those people who never did, never did think so. And part of that was that logo, which was remarkable Arabic calligraphy. It was a, it was a competition uh, that somebody won many years ago oh, to really? design the Al Jazeera yeah. logo, which to the untrained eye, including mine, looks a whole lot like um, ISIS's logo, uh -huh. frankly. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we are not familiar with Arabic. We're certainly not familiar with Arabic calligraphy. Nope. And we're not familiar with Arabic anything, right? In, in, in North American society, there is no car, there is no chewing gum, there is no, uh, you know, soft drink. Arabic to Americans for the last 25 years has, generally speaking, been associated with bad things, terrorism, Al-Qaeda, stuff yep. like that. And that was very difficult to overcome. Uh, so I think that was a lot of it. So I don't think it's that people watched it and objected to it. I think the people who watched it actually came around to the idea that it was pretty good. We, there were some people who would just never watch it. Exactly. There were some carriers that would never carry it. Yeah, it's that. It's the it's the inbred bigotry. It's that institutional right. racism. Now, you, Ali Velshi, have made no secret of your background. You're a Kenyan-born Muslim who yeah. grew up in Canada, is now living and working here in, in the States. And um, I'm guessing that you've gotten both, um, you know, kudos for that and some criticism because people are like that. 
it comes up every uh, every few weeks. Somebody will tweet it, uh, you know, as if it's a criticism. It's like it's in my Twitter bio. Right. Um, I was actually just annoyed because uh, for a long time I was the most famous Kenyan-born Muslim I knew until Barack <laughs> Obama showed up on the scene. Damn so him. you know, I, I say it tongue in cheek to right. say I'm actually that guy, and he was never at any of the meetings. Exactly. Uh, so so yeah, to me, uh, I, I did grow up in a world in which varied experience and diversity is of value, and that be from anywhere. That could be socioeconomic, where you are, uh, where you're from, uh, what you speak, what color you are, what what gender you are, what you identify with. So I've never, ever, ever thought of that as a negative, right? To me, it's a list the stuff you are yeah. and let people make with it, uh, uh, make what they will of it. it, it today, uh, the concept of being foreign, immigrant, Muslim, uh, global, global in perspective, Canada, some people associate with socialist. It, it's it's fascinating the, the buckets people will quickly put you into. I, I'm not actually that complex of being. I just sort of put it out there to say, hey, this this is if you wonder where my thinking comes from, if you wonder why I support single payer, uh, you know, health care. It's not actually a Bernie Sanders thing mm -hmm. to me. It's the right. system in which I grew up. It's a system that I've studied, and it seems to work. That it happened to align uh, for a few minutes with Bernie Sanders' campaign is interesting, but that's not where it came from with me. So I put it out there to say, whatever you think I think, because I'm a Kenyan-born Muslim who grew up in Canada, you're probably right. <laughs> or not, uh, because you're a human being, and you're here, and you, you I mean, for me, first and foremost, as a viewer and a uh, a power consumer of news media. Um, uh, you're one of the best. Now, I know we met um, virtually through Twitter some time ago when one morning I was in a pissy mood and I probably hadn't had enough coffee. And you said I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter uh, for some of the reasons you already uh, mentioned, the single payer and just his consistency over the years. And one morning, and it was like maybe only your second week in the new slot in the new Velshi show, which is the now on Saturdays and Sundays from 8 to 10 Eastern morning. I'm, you know, one of those old people who doesn't sleep and wakes up early in the morning. So I see it all the time. Anyway, I, I called you out in, in, a, in a pissy moment. And you were so wonderful in the way you responded to me. And you really engaged with me. Um, some of your colleagues uh, <laughs> have blocked me over the years. Uh, and, and rightly so, probably. I blocked some of them. But I was so thrilled to have this conversation with you. And it just, it, it, it verified my belief in that you're, you know, you're a good guy, you're a decent human being, and you're smart. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy watching you, because you do give a very well-rounded uh, view of the whatever story you're talking about. You give background, and you do it without much personal um, uh, commentary in, in, invoked, although I don't, not that there's anything wrong with that. I do it on a daily basis, but you, you give us the facts and it, especially at a time like this, that is so important. Um, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today is how life reporting on the news has changed when we're living the biggest news story any of us has ever even imagined. Um, you know, the idea of a pandemic was always out there. And, and obviously, the, the administration had been briefed on it, too, not that they took it seriously. But we as a people, as a planet, have never lived anything, lived through anything yeah. like this. How has it changed your world, other than obviously in the mechanics we see in the coverage and you're working from home? Uh, in a bigger picture, how has it changed you? Well, uh, on a few levels, first of all, for, for your comment, I don't really... Uh, recall our fight. I, res I recall the resolution. I, uh -huh. I recall the fact that we decided to engage yeah. and and have a conversation. To me, that's the the good part, right? Mm -hmm. I, I I'm fine with criticism. Uh, we should often have it. Um, and by the way, I think I was one of uh, Bernie Sanders' last interviews before yes, he uh, stepped I, out of the race. And I and I have uh, to thank you for that too, by the way, because I did that did not go unnoticed, and it was a great interview too. So thank you for that. We had a great interview, and I've always enjoyed a great relationship with the senator uh, editorially, and I, I like that. Um, so a lot of things have changed. I've covered a lot of the very big stories of our time. Right? I've covered the uh, I covered nine eleven. I covered uh, uh, the recession. I covered uh, various. You know, I've covered hurricanes and earthquakes and and wars. This is so different. Never mind the mechanics, which yeah. is fascinating, right? I'm right. broadcasting from my home right now. Actually, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, a photographer, is here adjusting some lighting and, and fixing some things. But but the mechanics aside of anchoring a show, there's that. Then there's the actual news gathering, right? right. The idea that we we have to tell real people stories. 
And that means going into places where real people are. And, and that, this is a time when that's just weird, right? People don't necessarily want you coming to their homes. Um, we're not out there all the time. So this, uh, Skype, Zoom, things like that have become much more valuable. But remember that we as a network operate on the basis that we have contact, who have our companies, who have uh, communications experts, that regular folks don't have that stuff. Mm-hmm. So social media, Twitter, the stories about people's lives uh, have become crucial and important. Frontline workers, right? I get outside in Manhattan at 7 p.m. every day and clap for those people out uh, there, the, the frontline uh-huh. workers, including the grocery delivery people, the, the doormen, the nurses. But I don't talk to them. I don't interview them. So we've had to find ways to do that. And we do do that. We are talking to home health care aides and grocery store workers and people like that to tell us how what impact this has on them. And I think that's a part of our uh, the new way we think about things that is going to be good. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can tell a lot more stories from the bottom up than we can from the perspective of presidents and princes and prime ministers down. So that's one very good part about this. But the other thing about it that's fascinating is in the big stories that I've covered, uh, even in 9-11, we thought it was existential. We thought it was going to be a massive threat to our way of life. And ultimately it was, and it wasn't going to destroy us. And and, and in the recession, uh, we thought about all the ways in which it was going to uh, damage our lives and our prosperity, but we weren't scared of the people around us. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is so new. You don't know where this threat lies. Um, and, and so you, you're, you're de- your brain can't get your head around who fixes this. How does it get fixed? This is science. This is leadership. This is government. And we don't know how to process that. So we're doing it in real time. And, and you'll notice every single week on TV, our behavior changes a little bit because the story has shifted. Is it about fear? Is it about numbers? Is it about leadership? Is it about the economy? Is it about failures in government? Is it about uh, medical science? Uh, So these, it's such a fast evolving story about things around which we don't have a pre-established expertise. Right, right. And what I'm noticing also is we're all being affected by this in ways that we probably won't even know for months and and maybe in some cases years to come. And I'm talking about mental health. And I'm somebody, I've been open about this on my show. I have always struggled with depression my entire adult life since adolescence. And I, you know, I had a really, really rough time after Donald Trump's election, where I had what I can look back now and describe it as as a breakdown. Um, I did my job. I did a show every day. Don't ask me how I got through it. I'm afraid if I were to go back and listen to some of those shows, I'd be mortified because I I got to the point where I I had to write out every word. I was I was a nervous wreck. I did. I, I questioned everything. And I just, this is something I've been doing for 40 years. I've been in radio and I just, I would shake before I opened the mic. It so thoroughly destroyed me. And I somehow got through it, came out on the other side, maybe seeing, all right, we're coming closer to an election time and maybe we can get rid of this man. Um, But it, it has really affected me. And now, you know, just when we thought things couldn't get any worse, really, as a nation, as a planet, we're not going to go any lower. We get hit by this pandemic. And yeah. and so many of us are just, uh, you know, I'm a lung cancer survivor, I, and I'm 60 years old, I can't go out there. So it's, it's, it's changed every aspect of our lives. And it's changed the way I do my show, because no longer do I want to De- dig down deep on all that the nu- the numbers and the the news and the it's too much. I want yeah, we know right. So I'm hitting on a more human level. I think I mentioned this to you in an email. I start. I happened upon a Facebook group called Room View from My Room. That now in a short month has over a million members who people at every corner of the planet. Um, they take pictures of the view from their house, say where they are. They're everywhere from Zimbabwe to South Africa to Australia, New Zealand, and, and Bolivia and, and Brazil and all over the States. And I'm looking at these and I start reaching out to some of these people and connecting with them. And I've invited them on the show. So I'm doing this new segment called Quarantine Calling, where I connected yesterday with a wonderful woman from Finland. Um, uh, somebody else in Denmark, uh, somebody in Italy. And, and it just, it's a small world and we're all on this, in, in a, a unique moment in history when we're all experiencing basically, basically the same thing. 
Um, and I'm having a hard time verbalizing what that is, but just trying to connect with people. Those kind of stories are what somehow make me feel a little better. And it gives me a way to to pass things along yeah. to listeners. Are you more interested in stuff like that? or Because we also need you to help explain about the PPP program running out of, wa- out of money and why some of us haven't gotten our $1,200 yet. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is uh, what we still do and what we still should do. But I have had uh, segments on my shows that I have not had on my shows in 25 years or 30 years of doing this. I had a, a, an expert on grief oh, the other day uh-huh. uh, talk about the collective grief we all feel, not uh-huh. just the grief of those of us who have lost somebody to COVID, but the, 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 the loss, the feeling that we feel about the loss of normalcy in our lives actually feels like grief. Uh, and then there are those people who've lost somebody during this period, not to coronavirus, but they can't have a funeral or they right. can't be with them or they can't have a memorial service. I talked to somebody the other day about uh, what young LGBTQ people go through, right? Because let's say you've had to leave school or, or leave your work and quarantine in place with your family, which wasn't safe space for you to start with. Yeah, I, I had uh-huh. someone talking about um, uh, uh, people who are abused mm-hmm. in their relationships. Where do you go when you got to actually be with someone and you can't run to the shelter and you don't have uh, places that are open to you? So, you know, we would put things we would give them tips as to what to do. Um, What do you do if you suffer from anxiety or first of all, we're all sufferers of anxiety now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of you didn't appreciate what anxiety was when people, you know, when you said, well, that's not really rational what your fear of that is. It's like, guess what? We're all we're all irrationally feared, all fearful all the time. Uh, Thank you for talking openly about your depression, because. For people who are suffering from these things, this becomes that much more complicated. You don't have the same access to either therapists or medication or doctors that you typically have. And when everybody else is anxious, how do you share those concerns with people? And I feel like that is is immediate and and uh, in the center of this conversation and necessary. We ran on we started running an ad on MSNBC probably three weeks ago. Um, you know, we have this series that's called "This Is Who We Are." Uh huh. Right. And it. we changed it to we are in this together. Uh-huh. And it, it was just imagery of uh, around the world and in America, the things people do to help other people in these times and to cope. I've invited people. I have a, a, a email address, mystory@velshi.com to just tell me, how are you coping? Good, bad, send me videos, send me pictures. And we tell that story every show. I do an obituary every show. Ooh. Just to remember that these are real people's people. lives that were lived. And uh, my my producer, Emma, writes it, and she sends it to me, and I read it. And I, I always uh, smile because the stories are so good. And then I always cry when I deliver them on TV. I, I've read it already. I know what it's going to say, and yet I can't keep it together. So uh, these are ways in which we have changed. But I, I do agree with you. We have learned to find strength in each other. And that doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't argue on Twitter or we shouldn't have political arguments. Um, I think we should. Somebody said to me last night, I did a, a webinar, and they said, do you think we can put aside our political bickering as we lead into the election uh, to you know, to deal with this? And I said, no. Yeah. I said, people died for our right to politically bicker. Um, you may call it bickering, and sometimes it feels like bickering, and sometimes it feels small and petty. But it is actually central to who we are. So for all we hate about coronavirus and being stuck in our homes, think about those people in the world who don't also have an election coming up in which they can vote, who don't have freedoms, who live in a refugee camp, who have no money at all, who live in abject poverty and can't do the things that we can do to social distance and, and keep clean all the time. We have democracy and we have a vote. And it's this is not the time to shy away from our adulthood uh, and our and our democratic uh, rights and our our constitutional obligations for free speech. So bicker and fix coronavirus at the same time. We can actually walk and chew gum at the same time. Most definitely. The only the, 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 but then there's the other aspect that we've steered clear of so far, but it's the 239 pound and then some elephant in the room by way of Donald Trump, who if if you had to, if you knew that we were going to be struck with a global pandemic of these proportions, this scary, who is the last person you'd want in the White House? 
Donald Trump. And yet he goes up there, he commandeers two, two and a half hours of prime television time every night. I know MSNBC has gotten a little better at pulling away from him and trying to fact check him in real time. But to have him spout some of the, the crap he's spouting off is just so irresponsible and frightening. And it, it's, you know, my husband, I watch it because I say I have to. It's my job. I need to know what he's saying. And my husband can't be in the room. He just he's going. It's making him nuts. Um, this is another aspect. I watch the way he berates journalists just doing their job. And if you don't, if you're not complimentary of him, if you don't uh, couch your question with praise, um, he'll call you. He'll call you the worst names that, that no adult should ever call anybody, let alone the president of the United States. I wonder on a daily basis, why don't these people get up and walk out? And then I answer my question and I say, because then all that would be left covering him is Fox and OANN. And that's as much of a disservice as covering this stuff. The the two things I always think journalists have to do, uh, one is to bear witness, right? To tell people something is happening. And Mm -hmm. then you think about the the Yazidis on Mount Sinjar, you think about Darfur, you think about the Rohingya. If if there weren't somebody to tell you it was happening, we actually wouldn't know because we'd all be on our feeds, which we have curated for ourselves, and and the story wouldn't get there. So part of the reason we have to be in that room is to bear witness. Uh, Even if it's incredibly hard to watch. Uh, we. This is the president of the United States that was elected by American people, and the consequence of having that president is, is having that president, and we have to tell you that. But the other really important thing that you're getting at is the other responsibility that journalists have is to speak truth to power, mm-hmm. to hold power to account. And there are some journalists in that room who on a daily basis, and by the way, it's not like anchoring a show where you've you've booked your guests, you know who they are, you've done research, you had a booker look into them, you've got a segment producer, you've read their articles. You have no idea on a daily basis what <laughs> Donald Trump is going to do. Nope. And, and his mind works very differently uh, than, than mine does. So I, I give a little extra uh, credence to those reporters in that room because uh, he says stuff and then you have to decide, am I holding him to account for the thing that I thought I was holding him account for? Did he just say something really weird that I need to challenge or do I need to get information on what they know? So it's hard. And there are some reporters, um, my friend Yamiche Alcindor uh-huh. from uh, uh-huh. PBS, yep. one of them, who, you know, he just, he picks on her all, all the, the time. time. He belittles her all the time. He's got some bee in his bonnet about her, and she holds her patience and continues to add ask her questions. And the other day when he skipped past her because he didn't want to give her another question, uh, a couple reporters later, uh, Jeremy back. Diamond from CNN, yep. took his opportunity and gave her the mic back. Yeah. So yep. there are there are some moments of glory in, in these things. But I, I will – somebody said something to me before coronavirus uh, when I was anchoring on Friday nights. I anchor uh, Lawrence O'Donnell's show, right. uh, Last Word. And she came on and she said, this is – this is a, this is for grown-ups. This is not a time when you can say this person's going to come in and save me. Mm-hmm. That's now not going to happen. So you are going to do the things you have to do. The most powerful of which remains your vote. Uh, others of which remain keeping your family safe, keeping yourself safe, social distancing where necessary, finding those around you who need resources, who you can help either figure out how to get their $1,200 or figure out how to file for unemployment. Or if they don't file for unemployment, what can you do to help those around you? Um, I have seen acts of kindness that I didn't know possible in the last couple of months. Just people saying, do you need money? Mm -hmm. Tweet me need money. What you just said about uh, talking to people, random people around the world, people saying, call me if you need someone to talk to. Let's, we're going to fix ourselves. We're going to, uh, we're going to take the mantle of leadership. And I will say one thing, um, uh, when Joe Biden launched his campaign, he talked about recapturing the soul of America and he talked about Charlottesville and and how far, Mm -hmm. you know, we've come, you know, he's changed his whole theme now. And, and, uh, he's talking about who he's going to pick for his cabinet. Yeah. If you think back to 2008, during the election, during the financial crisis, um, uh, John McCain had been doing pretty well, and, and then he picked Sarah Palin and his running, as his running mate. And Barack Obama lined up with all of Clinton's senior economic yep, advisors behind him. Basically, this, this is going to be the team that's going to help me mm-hmm. out. And, and Joe Biden switched strategy to say, look, maybe you've got doubts about who I am or what my actual capabilities are, but I'm going to start to line up a team for you so you know who is going to lead you out of that. Interesting theory, given that America right now is so 
hungry for leadership. So that I, I think we're all pivoting and we're all making adjustments to say, you can watch that White House press briefing every day. Your solution and your leadership's not going to come from there. So find it where you can and find it in yourself if you can. Right. Well, hopefully. I mean, then there are those of us waiting on the edges saying, OK, who Joe Biden assembles is of the utmost importance. If he goes back to the old well and brings in Larry Summers and Tim Geithner and the same old Clinton Obama crew, that's not going to do the trick. He needs to. For Look, I'm, I've already said I've got I've got my um, <laughs> my industrial strength nose clubs from my lung cancer battle that I used for pulmonary testing. I used this uh, in 2016 to vote for Hillary Clinton, and I'm planning to use it again to vote for Joe Biden. Um, But I want to know who that I want to know that he's talking with with the Sanders camp and the Warren camp and that they're going to take our wants and considerations into effect. I would love to see Joe Biden right now announce his running mate because, you know, he's no spring chicken. That person could likely be president. So that's an important consideration. And I want to know who else he's going to surround himself with. And I just hope that he I wish he would use this time to bring in people and say, these are the people I'm looking at. Do you think I mean, all the rules are thrown out. Everything is going to have to change now. Is that a possibility? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wonder, the, the running mate question is is a big one, and I, I don't know whether he'll move quickly on that, uh, but I, I think the way around that, if he weren't going to move quickly around this, is to sort of say, this is what the, the cabinet looks like. Now, that's going to be weird, because if all of a sudden there isn't a Kamala Harris, or there isn't an Elizabeth Warren, or there isn't somebody like that, does that mean, does that just put the running mate conversation into overdrive to say, well, he's ah, kept that out because uh-huh. such and such. So I, I, I don't don't know how he's thinking about that. I sort of agree with you conceptually that um, it might be time for Joe Biden, who now is is the the presumptive nominee, to just act like the presumptive nominee, exactly. to act like we're in October, not uh, not in 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 April. Uh, so, and I think he's getting that message. And I also think it sounds like from the conversations people have been having, including with Bernie Sanders and with Bernie, uh, with, with Elizabeth Warren and with uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. That the 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 Joe Biden campaign is taking that part of the message seriously. Look, there are things about the Bernie Sanders campaign which were considered quite radical a few years ago uh, that are now mainstream. Right, fifteen dollars an hour. I remind people is. $30,000 a year. So everybody who thinks that the socialists are taking over and the poor are taking your money, it's $30,000 a year. Uh, The minimum wage is seven and a quarter. That's $15,000 a year. Uh, There are, I saw a poll the other day that said 30% of people who identify as conservatives think that universal health care might be a good thing. And I've argued for a long time, it actually shouldn't be a liberal or conservative idea. It's actually a better idea that gets you a better return on your investment. So when you take all of that together, I think that there are things that we thought that now people are saying, you know what, if we had universal health care, we'd probably be in a better position today because there would be a whole bunch of people with underlying conditions uh, who, who would seek treatment. And who might not die of coronavirus or might not go to work because they could afford to be at home and make somebody else sick. So, you know, I think the world has changed a lot in the last couple of months. I hope so. And one of the things my calling around the world, I hope, brings to light. I always ask the people in these other countries about their health care systems and they know what it is over here. But when I mention the insurance card and it's tied to your employment and then there's co-pays and deductibles and the people who don't have insurance go back, it, it is inconceivable to the rest of the civilized world. If we have one silver lining from this whole mess, hopefully we keep the deaths down, they keep the curve flat, people, you know, the horror is minimized as much as it can be. And we come out on the other end with people knowing that, yeah, we need universal health care. We need a single payer health care system. Yeah. And and look, you think about how many of our major policies have come out of bad things. That's not a bad thing to wish for, right? The idea Mm -hmm. that good things come out of bad things, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Mm -hmm. meant that workers don't work in rooms that are locked so that if there's a fire, they can't get out. People had to die for us to say, wow, that seems to be a no brainer. And there are lots of places in the world who don't have basic rules like that. So I think that, you know, I I used to report on hurricanes and I talk about climate change and people would say, this isn't the time. And I've reported on so many mass shootings on site and people have said, this isn't the time to talk about gun control. Well, guess what? It's actually always the time to talk about ways in which we can handle this thing that's happening now 
differently and better in the future. So I think we can hold both of those thoughts together. We're in a crisis and rule number one is fix that. But let's talk about how we fix this moving forward. Absolutely. Ali Velshi, I could keep talking to you for an hour. I know I've overstayed my welcome already. Thank you so much. What a, what a pleasure this has been. I do enjoy waking up and, and watching you weekend mornings. And I, it's even better when someone's out and I see it's you in the fill-in chair because I trust you and I like you. And now I think you're a friend. So Ali Velshi, find yep. him. Um, uh, his website is at is Velshi.com. He's on Twitter at Ali Velshi. And of course, you find him on MSNBC pretty much all the time, but certainly Saturday and Sunday mornings from 8 to 10 Eastern. What a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you. Thank you. Ali Velshi. Cool guy, huh? And with that, we reach the end of another edition of The Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, always happy to fill in when I can for Brad and Desi. Give them a little free time. Not that we don't all have an abundance of free time these days. Oh, well. Thanks for bearing with me. Come check out my show at NicoleSandler.com anytime. Until next time, to quote Brad, and I mean it with everything I can muster. Good luck, world.